This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode 149 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, February 12th on a Sunday. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, for another week in the den. We've got a lot to cover as far as St. Cloud hockey and hockey around the state of Minnesota, around the Midwest here. Uh, of course, the men's team was off this weekend, so we'll recap the rest of NCAA men's hockey. Uh, an Alaska team that seemed to be rolling for example, really good until last night against Long Island. They'll have them again this week. So some intriguing storylines along the pairwise. Of course, we'll touch on the women's team who had all things considered a, a decent weekend against Minnesota Duluth. Maybe a little bit left to be desired, but overall a pretty good result that we're going to take a look at. The Minnesota Wild, uh, yeah. not, not the greatest week here. Of course, seven game homestand for them. We'll take a look at that. They're right in the middle of that. And then we'll head on to the extra ice session for the little brother to the Minnesota wild, the Iowa wild and take a deep dive and look at them and what they're up to as well. Just a reminder for those tuning in as well. Next week, we will have a little bit of a later release, uh, probably Tuesday morning. So just keep an eye on that as we move through the week. But other than that, we will start with the Huskies illustrated weekly roundup and center ice view news and notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View News and Notes, Noah, and uh, not too much on the docket this week. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Uh, one of the bigger things that's been happening around the NHL and more specifically the NHL PA, the Players Association, is that uh, it looks like they have found their guy to be their next executive director. And it looks like at least it's uh, rumored to be Marty Walsh, who is the current U.S. Secretary of Labor. And I'll mind you, he's, this is not an official announcement, uh, but a lot of sources out there pointing that uh, this guy is indeed uh, going to be the successor, Donald Fair, um, who will be departing the position at 12 years. So uh, just, I guess, barring a official announcement, Marty Walsh set to be the next leader of the initial PA. Uh, pretty important, too, because uh, let's just say that CBA talks are coming up. And uh, yeah, this NHL has never had issues with that. So, uh <laughs> It's almost, uh, shall we say, we, we've been waiting for the ball to drop, right, Noah? It, it is uh, just about two weeks before the trade deadline. You're coming up early March, and uh, 
we have our first big one, um, and it is the New York Rangers acquiring from the St. Louis Blues, Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, here's what both teams get. So the Rangers do get Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, they also get defenseman Nico Mikola, which I think is a nice little sweetener. Yeah. Uh, the St. Louis Blues I get forward Sammy Blay. Now, if I remember correctly, I think Sammy yeah. Blay was former St. Louis Blues. Former St. Louis Blue, part of that yeah. uh, Pavel Buchnevich trade. Yes. Uh, they also get prospect Hunter Skinner. They get a conditional 2023 first round pick, especially uh, in this one. That's a deep draft, so this could be good for the St. Louis Blues, a conditional fourth in 2024. But the most important thing here, Noah, is uh, St. Louis is retaining 50% of Tarasenko's contract to make um, the money work. So uh, first big fish to drop this one. Um, it sounds like the Rangers have been kicking the tires and Tarasenko for quite some time. It, it, it's, it's apparently from uh, CBC and uh, from Elliot Freeman. Apparently they've been looking at this for over a year um, to acquire Tarasenko. Uh, he's also expressed interest in playing with Artemi Panarin. So uh, mm-hmm. we're able to finally get a deal done and uh, uh, really good for the Rangers, for the Blues. Uh, this could signal a teardown um, when you, uh, I know Tarasenko wanted out, but uh, now the spotlight for St. Louis is what do you do with Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah, certainly. And uh, yeah, Tarasenko, Artemi Panarin, they connected about four minutes into their first hockey game together for a goal. So uh, yeah, uh, the Rangers back-to-back wins for them as well since he's gotten there too. Uh, Mikula, like you mentioned, a nice secondary addition here. Uh, Sammy Blay, a good player, but uh, you know the return I think was a little underwhelming if you're a St. Louis fan. Uh, The one thing that the Rangers had uh, in surplus, actually one of the few teams with two first-round draft picks, of course, their other first-rounder, coming from Dallas and that Niels Lindqvist uh, trade uh, that happened uh, last year, I think. Uh, But that's the thing is you look at the Rangers and you look at Dallas, regardless of that conditional 2023 first round pick, it's probably not going to be that high of a pick. uh, All things considered that St. Louis's actual first rounder will likely be a little bit more uh, higher because Dallas, of course, is going to make the playoffs. And most likely, of course, on, on the other side of things, the Rangers are, in a pretty decent spot to likely uh, get a crack at it too. And I don't, I don't know which one they traded away. I didn't look that closely, but uh, um, and we didn't see anything on the conditions, but uh, they were in a unique spot. Of course, one of the most uh, frustrated sources with this was Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane, I kind of had that uh, the Rangers as a ideal destination. And interestingly enough, I believe with salary retention uh, and other things with prospect pools, I believe the Rangers could still fit him into his cap, which is actually (laughs) a little bit scary if you really think about it. Could you imagine Panarin, Kane, and Tarasenko on a line together? Although I don't think any of them play center, but like... So the, on the Rangers side, you know, you're you're asking, you know, for the, the late gifts, but... Um, the one thing that now the Rangers don't have is assets maybe that Chicago wants in return. Um, that's the one thing that may yeah, explore but, Patrick Kane or elsewhere. Um, yeah. And the, the, still the thing is, is, is Patrick Kane has still got full control over this. Again, a full no trade clause. Yeah. Um, supposedly, um, he has you know essentially gotten to his agent and has put together teams that he would be interested in joining for a cup run. And uh, I, the Rangers were on his list. The question is, has that changed uh, since uh, Tarasenko has now joined the Rangers? And do the Rangers want to give up assets from what they could consider to be a true rental? Uh, right. After they have unloaded some again in this trade for uh, Tarasenko. So I, I don't know. Hard to say for sure. 
Yeah, well, currently projected cap space, cap space, of course, is under a million dollars for them right now, but they could move some pieces if they felt that uh, it was worth enough of a look, obviously. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, too, I'd imagine some salary retention would be coming out of that if you're on the Chicago yeah. side of things uh, to make a deal happen. So uh, interesting. It is weird thinking about Patrick Kane in a different uniform. That's for sure. Uh, other players that are not going anywhere here. Second to last topic, some signings and extensions here. Dylan Cousins, the early 20-year-old uh Buffalo, seven years, 7.1 average annual value, 43 points in 49 games played. This contract basically mimics the Tage Tom Thompson contract from yep. last year. So uh, both the top line centers uh, locked up in Buffalo for just over $14 million uh, out there. So uh, they got shelled last night, though. So interested yeah. to see how they kind of rebound uh, from that. They've had an interesting season, but it's an, it's an exciting time to be a Buffalo Sabres fan. I think we can definitively say that we're at that point now. I know Jack Eichel obviously was, you know, an exciting player there and they were kind of up and down, but I think really we're starting to maybe see that, that turn just a little bit in Buffalo. And I feel like they're steadily going in the right direction now. So uh, yeah, Dylan cousins locked up in Buffalo. Bo Horvat, of course, this trade happened uh, about two hours after our show last week, uh, headed to the Islanders. And then he got his extension eight years, eight and a half million dollars, 54 points and 49 contests, of course, 27 years of age for him. So the Isles uh, now I would say as long as Horvat is healthy and continues to produce at a, a rate we expect him to relative to that contract. It uh, looks like a good deal for the Islanders as far as that trade is concerned. Uh, Connor Timmins to the Leafs, of course, a uh, trade earlier this season, two years, 1.1 million average annual value has kind of flourished uh, in Toronto, 12 points in 20 games at age 24 on the back end. Jordan Harris for the Canadians, two years, 1.4 million, 11 points in 47 games. He's only 22, uh, a good little defenseman on the back end there as well. And in net for the Los Angeles Kings, Phoenix Copley, a one-year, $1.5 million average annual value. Uh, the journeyman at 31 years old has paced the Kings with an 8.97 and a 2.92 for a 15-3-1 record for the Los Angeles Kings, which... I didn't know he was doing that good. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Cal yeah. Peterson obviously has struggled and Jonathan Quick has not been great, but. Isn't uh, he out with injury too? Or no, he they, he got sent down. That's yeah, right. he got sent down to the AHL. But yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised, but also slightly surprised it's only a one-year deal. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, at age 31, I mean, I know that he his body of work, he's only played in 51 NHL games prior to, you know, this season. But I mean, that's a pretty decent winning percentage, all things considered. Maybe I thought he could have earned an extra year, but I mean, you know, with that being said. I think with the Kings, they're in a precarious situation. And then what I mean by that is, you know, they get, they go out and they get Kevin Fiala, right? They go and get um, uh, that score that they desperately wanted, right? Um, here's the thing with them, though. Um, Jonathan Quick, he's done after this year. Yep. 5.8 million. So you kind of wonder if it's allowing Los Angeles to explore free agency or maybe the trade market um, for another goaltender. I really think they thought Cal Peterson was going to be the guy. Um, and then, of course, the season he had to struggle. So you kind of wonder, um, you know, what that might look like uh, as far as the offseason is concerned. You kind of well, wonder. Well, you do realize that the starter is now David Rennick, right? It has to be. Oh, of course, right? <laughs> uh, David Rennick and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, uh, I believe, is uh, the ECHL affiliate to 
uh, the organizations. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I that's kind of how I look at it, Noah, is that I, I think they understand with Fiala and with some of the younger core starting to kind of be on the up and up. I think they they feel the goaltending position is the next thing they want to shore up. Uh, and I think what it sends is Copley is a good addition. Now, maybe they think they can go out and get someone better. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Um, remember the wild. I got a guy named Philip Gustafson that people didn't think was going to be that good. And right now he's all playing Mark Andre Fleury. So, we you know, go. it's interesting that you look at some of these teams that have had great goaltenders retire. You know, I think another example might've been New Jersey in the way that they struggled in that position for a while until uh recent, uh, not that it's shored up immensely, but they're a much better team right now. The New York Rangers obviously uh, found, struck gold with Shesterkin as well. But uh, it's interesting. You go back five or six years ago and you said, oh, the LA Kings are looking at goaltending. You know, that's a weird phrase to think about with Jonathan Quick being that mainstay for a long time. But, uh, you know, guy that, you know, had a, has had a great career to this point, has been a little bit injury prone a little bit as well, though, too. So obviously hampered some things related to the Kings there as well. Speaking of injuries, our last topic here, uh, kind of an interesting one for the first one, Calgary Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson, day-to-day after being struck by a vehicle Wednesday in Detroit. He was riding a scooter to dinner uh, when he was hit by a vehicle. So he was taken to the hospital. Uh, some tests were done on him, and uh, it seems like he's in good spirits and good health relatively back at home but uh yeah kind of an interesting you know i mean when wednesday in detroit i mean they were on the road obviously uh and he was on a scooter i don't know if it was a motorized scooter or like one of those like you know just the mobile scooters where you're you're you know going down the sidewalk or whatever but nonetheless uh he is day to day on the back end for the flames uh staying in canada here ottawa anton forsberg the netminder out with a lower body injury indefinitely uh golden knights goaltender logan thompson week to week with a lower body injury as well of course the the first year all-star this season uh new jersey's jack hughes also an all-star out week to week with an upper body injury out there for the devils and kale mccarr is out for a week with a head injury And welcome into the main portion of the show. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, episode 149 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, college hockey news and the like, ready to get recapped here. And uh, first of all, since we have some time and we don't always have some time, Nick, uh, how have things been the past couple of weeks? How have you been doing anything exciting or just kind of keeping up with the hockey season as we continue to push into playoff time here? Oh, geez. Uh, Looking for my sanity probably is the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so obviously a couple of weeks ago, hockey day, uh, was a nice opportunity. And then, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, in still t- traveling with the doll. So it was North Iowa down in Austin and, uh, they lost, uh, that game, but then they rebounded yesterday at home. And then yesterday, um, actually got to call a section one double a girls hockey semifinal, uh, between Lakeville South and Northfield and holy cow. What a game that was um, and actually had an analyst on uh, my call. Brent Bielenberg, for those who don't know, um, was actually the head coach in Northfield for about 20 years. Uh, super insightful. Actually, was a really freaking good call. Um, I, uh, arena was packed and uh, got to see uh, one of the new gopher commits, Ayla Puppy, down there for Northfield. And oh, my goodness, is she good. Uh, yeah. Just incredible skater on the hockey IQ. Uh, this Northfield team, they made that jump from single A to double A not too long ago. And for the last three seasons, 
They have knocked out Lakeville South in the section playoffs. And so uh, Northfield will play the winner of Lakeville North and Owatonna. That's next Thursday. Um, and then the boys get underway here, I believe, section starting up next week, too. So things are ramping up, as you and I both know, the February hits. Uh, the regular seasons come to an end, the sections and then state tournaments for college NCHC and the, and we're going to talk yeah. WCHA. Uh, <laughs> it's going to get busy uh, here around. Yeah. But, uh, how about yourself? Yeah, it is going to get busy. Like you mentioned, last week of the regular season in the WCHA, maybe we'll have to take a look at Minnesota High School as we get closer to that as well, too. I hear that tournament's kind of big. Uh, well, as uh, as far as uh, North Dakota's styles, from what I understand. Yeah, <laughs> that's the most <laughs> important part, I think. Exactly. Uh, um, I did get asked to do the uh, girls' state tournament here in North Dakota, but unfortunately I'm not able to because of clinical, so I was you know, looking forward to do that. Uh, it was kind of funny. We were actually – we had a nursing conference uh, last week, and – of course, they had the TV, you know, cameraman that were, that was, you know, getting the package ready for the story. And I just happened to be walking by, you know, next to the booth where he was standing. Uh, and there was one gal that he had asked to interview. And I walked by and she goes, oh, she goes, do you want to do this, you know, interview instead? And I'm like, I mean, I can like I like, like I didn't really think about it either way. And uh, she goes, you should do it. And I'm like, OK, fine. And of course, the guy. You know, he he starts Sounds getting like it was hard to convince you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he starts getting the lapel mic out right and stuff and he hands it to me and he starts trying to walk me through it. And I just, you know, I grab it and clip it on and, you know, clip it where it's supposed to go. And he goes, OK. And then he goes, you know, can you can you, you know, state your name and spell it for us and stuff? And I do it. And, you know, I open up the first thing and he goes, have you been on TV before? And I'm like. Yeah, just yeah. a. Just, just a little bit. Times. Yeah, just, just a wee bit. Uh, and so, of course, we did the interview and he goes where do I know you from? And I'm like, yeah, I work for the Taros. And he goes, Oh, that's what it is. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've, you know, I sit in front of a mic sometimes. Uh, but I think the biggest news coming out of my neck of the woods right now is I officially signed my contract in the hospital last week. So I officially signed a three-year contract. Yeah. So obviously really excited about that and just closed on a new apartment last week as well, too. Uh, it's going to be much of an upgrade from the, from the crap box that I currently live in for sure. So, uh, so entry level contracts, is there a performance based incentives? Uh, is there a no trade clause or what? I mean, if there is, if you, um, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I guess I can put so it no out there. Clause, yeah. I mean, if you want to be theoretical, uh, signing bonuses of up to, uh, really there are sign on bonuses of up to $28,000 and uh, loan retention bonuses of up to $32,000 over the course of three to five years. So, um, there is something uh, which yep. is cer certainly looking forward to. It's interesting because the way hospitals work, and I don't know if this is true across the country, but at least here it is, you sign your contract. So your actual agreement that has, you know, your bonuses and that sort of thing. But then you actually apply to the department that you want to work. So my contract is a bedside contract for a full-time employee. So I have to hit at least 76 hours of pay period. And then I have to be working bedside or, or equivalent, you know, like I can't just sign a contract like that and then go work in like the IT department, right? Like I have to be doing, you know, direct patient care for the most part. And then you do your application for the actual department you want to apply for. And they set your actual position, your hours and your actual hourly wage relative to, you know, your night differential and stuff like that. So you actually, you actually sign two things. So I'm actually an employee of the hospital right now, but I don't actually work in a specific department yet because that's the second part of this um, that I did get an interview for. So hopefully that's going to go well. That's going to be in a couple of weeks. So obviously a very exciting time as we move through. And uh, in the middle of all of it, 
college hockey continues to keep rolling here, Nick. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, interesting games coming out of a couple of these uh, conferences here. Let's start with the Big Ten. Um, I have a wild guess as to which game might have been the most intriguing coming out of last night. Although this yeah. Michigan-Michigan State series, of course, Michigan winning them both 4-2 and then 4-3 in overtime last night, scoring with less than a second yesterday to take the victory against the Spartans. That was one heck of a hockey game, uh, that Michigan game. Uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, uh, pair of victories, 2-1 and 3-2 in a shootout. Penn State was off this weekend. But, you know, who wasn't off on Saturday night? The Wisconsin Badgers losing on Friday to the Gophers, winning 3-1 to on Saturday. Oh uh, you know what's interesting? I was having a conversation with my parents about this because, of course, you remember the Huskies. Uh, the women's team played at the Kohl Center last week in front of a crowd of about 14,400. Uh, the men's game only got a little over 8,000, so that's kind of interesting. The women's game got almost twice as much attendance as the men's game did, but Wisconsin saved their best for last last weekend. This is really the first blemish all season that I think Minnesota has really had. Um, This Badgers team has given people enough of fits to make them not feel great. Um, Or as Max Veach would allude to, they beat only all the best teams in college hockey. Don't know if that's true or not, but uh, (laughs) With that being said, what do you think about the Gopher series ending up in a split this weekend? You know, it'll be it'll be funny to see if the Gophers fan base panics as much as St. Clouds. Um, <clears throat> and I, like, <laughs> is that even possible? Uh, it's I didn't I didn't think it was. I guess we'll see. They're still number one in the pairwise, by the way. So, which and that's the thing is right is you're so far down in the season that, and Wisconsin has sort of gotten. A little bit higher in the pairwise. Again, they've had some some decent comparisons, shall we say, uh, as the season's gone along. So, if anything, it's more of how does the team look at that second game, right? Because again, in the NCAA regionals, it's Friday, Saturday, right? You're playing two in a row. Or granted, it's different opponents, but if for the Gophers, you kind of wonder what that might look like against you know, what should be an inferior opponent. I don't think it's anything to really be that upset about. Now, you can look at the overall picture and say, oh, my gosh, we lost to Wisconsin. But right. keep in mind, like we said, Noah, Wisconsin has had, shall we say, flashes of brilliance this year. They've been few and far in between, uh, but they're still a Division One hockey team. They still can disrupt things. They still can do things well. And they proved it last night. Um, so if, if any of the golfers, they just have to have short-term memory, right? You, you, you just have to know that, okay, it's sort of a blemish. I'm, really, I'm not even sure if we can call it a full blemish, right? Um, yeah. And then just get prepared for the next couple of weekends because I believe they have Penn State uh, next if you're the Gophers um, looking at the Big Ten schedule uh, from the doldrums of my cranium, which is never a good place to look and confirm information. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I mean, honestly, and if anything – might you know get a little extra jump, a little extra fuel for the run uh, coming through. Um, now, if you lost them both, maybe that's a different story. But you split. I'm not sure if that's it's yeah. that big a deal. Penn State on the road for the Gophers next weekend. They finish the regular season the week after at home against Ohio State. Yep. Uh, so an eight o'clock Central Time on that Friday against Ohio State at home, and then four thirty on that Saturday. Kind of some weird times yes. there. Uh, as far as that is concerned, I wonder if that's coinciding with anything related to other athletics for Ohio State and Minnesota, respectively. We'll have to take a look. Uh, other, other than that, though, like you mentioned, uh, Penn State will be well-rested for this matchup here uh, as they were off this week. Of course, they 
have Minnesota next week. CCHA 2.0, Northern Michigan and St. Thomas, a split. Northern Michigan, uh, 3-2. Tommy's 4-2 on the next night. Bowling Green, Michigan Tech, a split between two of the higher up dogs, uh, so to speak. One of them an actual dog, I guess. Michigan Tech winning in night number two. Bowling Green, night number one, 5-2 and 4-2 were the respective scores. And Bemidji State and Ferris, a split in this one as well. Ferris State, 3-2 and Bemidji, a 6-2 move here. Three splits in the CCHA here. It's interesting. You can take a look at the standings here. Things are tightening up. It's actually Michigan Tech that is currently leading right now. 47 points for them. Mankato at 45. But, of course, Mankato has two games in hand. And then Bowling Green uh, right behind at 41 with the number of games par with Michigan Tech. So, uh, really... Bowling Green kind of has an outside chance. Uh, it would have to be a perfect storm that I don't think is going to happen. So I think it's between Mankato and Michigan Tech for the, that top spot in the CCHA. I'm going to imagine they've probably got you know two weekends left, respectively, for each of these teams. So, uh, yeah, it's probably going to come down to those two. So um, I don't really know about that conference tournament, though. I mean, I could see a five or a six seed winning that conference tournament if all things go right. I mean, is this one of those that you feel like, you know, besides maybe Michigan Tech and Mankato, uh, that you feel like a third team could come out of the CCHA as far as the pairwise is, is concerned? You mean one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the, there's no question that the CCHA tournament right now is kind of wide open, right? Yeah. Um, Minnesota State, Northern Michigan, which, I mean, really Minnesota State has been at least the second half has been the more consistent team. Um, they certainly haven't been perfect, but they've been the better team. Um, Bowling Green has kind of fallen down Northern Michigan. Holy cow. Um, have they really cooled off? Uh, St. Thomas has been sort of another second half team again uh, this season. And again, year number two um, Lake States, Lake state um, they've struggled, but uh, I don't know if there's really anybody that, is safe, honestly, just because there hasn't been really a team that has sort of taken a stranglehold on this conference that you look at and say, man, uh, this is going to be a tough team. Like Mankato was last year, right? There was there was an expectation that Mankato was going to be the team, and I don't know if there is really that safe bet this year. So, so it's very possible this year. If you like some intrigue here, like we mentioned, so each the two teams that have 24 points, Michigan Tech uh, and the other that they just played, Bowling Green, they only have two games left. Every other group has four games left for their weekend series. So Mankato has Bemidji State next weekend, and then they close out the regular season with none other than Michigan Tech. So the top two teams in that that division are going to do battle in a couple of weeks. That's going to be an awesome matchup. You know, Mankato right in the mix. On the women's side, they'll be right in the mix for a very intriguing matchup as well, too, by the way. We'll get to that uh, as far as final showdowns for the regular season on the women's side here. But moving over to ECAC action here, uh, of course, keeping our eye on Quinnipiac, essentially. Uh, They beat Clarkson and St. Lawrence this weekend. Harvard beating Dartmouth 6-3, although that score does not give you an idea of where we were at. That game was 3-3 for a long time. Harvard had to find a way in that one. Colgate uh, losing to Cornell 3-2. Cornell continues to stay pat in the ECAC. Hockey East here. Um, Merrimack traveling to Maine. This was last Sunday. They lost to Maine 
uh, on that Sunday in OT, 3-2. to two. And then Maine beat BC, 3-1 on Friday. Providence uh, traveling to Vermont. I didn't realize both these teams are a little bit lower now in the standings. Uh, Vermont is the last place team, but Providence got the victory last Sunday. Uh, Northeastern then played Providence on Friday. It was a 4-3 shootout victory for the Huskies. Uh, speaking of other Huskies, UConn dropping both to UNH, 4-1 and 3-2 in overtime. This New Hampshire Wildcats team has really caused fits these past couple of weeks we'll in Hockey that. East. It would be an outside shot, but I think them and Maine both have a chance to really disrupt somebody's journey uh, here when it comes to the Hockey East uh, conference play here. Uh, the Bean Pot, of course, uh, the two weeks uh, had started last Monday. The games from that, BC played Harvard, and Harvard won 4-3 in overtime. And Northeastern beat BU three to one on that same day. Both really good games, by the way. Really, yeah. What a performance from Devin Levi, by the way, in that second game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked really good. Of course, the Bean Pot uh, concludes tomorrow on Monday the thirteenth. Uh, Atlantic Hockey Sacred Heart played Air Force. Uh, Air Force won the first night. Sacred Heart the second night. Of course, Sacred Heart trying to catch RIT in the standings. And then independent-wise, Stonehill played Lindenwood, and it wasn't even close. Lindenwood was all over. And the 10-3 was the score yesterday. So, uh, nice. and, then, and then Alaska moved up to 15th in the pairwise on Friday night with a 5-3 victory over Long Island, but then dropped back down to 19, losing 3-1 yesterday. This Fairbanks team, they've got Long Island again this week. So, uh, you know, they really are going to have to have a good push if they want any sort of you know, chance to be able to be in the big dance. If they do, they're going to, that's where they're going to be. They're going to be at 15 and just narrowly sneak into the tournament. But how cool would it be to see Fairbanks and then a Nooks in that tournament? It would be cool, but they're going to have to be in that 13th spot. Um, You know, you you can't be in that 15 or 14 spot, I think. Um, I think that's too close to uh, the razor's edge, if you want to call. Because again, uh, Atlanta hockey is going to, have their one team in and that usually shuffles that last team out. So uh, they can do it. They're going to have to take care of business here down the stretch, um, especially as an independent, because again, you don't have a conference tournament where you can lock in a, a secured spot. So um, yeah, they got their work cut out for them, but they're within an arm's reach. So it'd be really fun to see that, um, especially for a team uh, that honestly we thought was maybe not going to come back. So, so, you know, one of the things I, you're thinking of Anchorage. So Fairbanks is the team that subsidizes everybody up there because yeah. they actually have a little bit of money. But yeah, I mean, it would have been maybe in jeopardy conference wise. The travel just would have yeah. been interesting. Of course, they can now score schedule four to eight games against Anchorage up there instead of having to travel uh, for other games extensively. It's about a three hour drive give or take uh, between those two cities. The thing that is fortunate for Fairbanks here, they've got Long Island at home next weekend. They're at Arizona State the weekend after, and they finish the season against Lindenwood. So uh, they have a chance to pile some victories together, however, against opponents that could likely hurt them rather than help them if they drop any of those games. So we'll keep an eye on Fairbanks, but they have six games left. They have something that they can at least work with a little bit. So uh, as far as, other scores here and things to look forward to. We take a look at what's on tap this week here. Uh, like we mentioned in the independent world, uh, Long Island now travels to Alaska Fairbanks. Lindenwood will travel to ASU. So it seems like all of these teams are essentially planning on playing each other in kind of a weird little non-conference independent type rotation, so to speak, in the second half of the regular season. The Bean Pot also continuing in Hockey East. BU playing BC now, and Northeastern will get Harvard in those matchups. Hockey East, how about this? Besides the single Saturday set with Northeastern playing Vermont, 
and this Sunday with Maine playing UMass Lowell. Hockey East has one, two, three, four series that we're covering that are all weekend series, not one-game sets. Kind of wild. Uh, BU playing Merrimack. Maine will have New Hampshire, which I know is not a high-profile matchup, but I'm curious to see how those two teams play because uh, they have both been red-hot as of late. UMass Lowell gets Providence, and UMass gets BC. Uh, ECAC-wise here, Quinnipiac watch continues. They play Yale on Friday, uh, and then Brown on Saturday. Clarkson has Cornell on Friday, and then Harvard has Union and RPI, respectively, that weekend. CCHA 2.0, Bowling Green and Michigan Tech both off. Ferris State will travel to Northern Michigan. Mankato travels to Bemidji for that matchup, and St. Thomas travels to Lake Superior. And Notre Dame is the team that's off in the Big Ten as Michigan travels to Ohio State for a Thursday-Saturday matchup. Minnesota gets Penn State on the road and Michigan state will travel to Wisconsin to see if the Badgers can repeat their magic from this previous weekend. Uh, so Nick, is there anything else you wanted to add about any of those matchups? Anything you're looking forward to anything intriguing for you? You know, the, the one thing that I'm going to be looking at, as you mentioned is Quinnipiac and Yale. I mean, yeah. I want to see how Quinnipiac, I want to see how Harvard does on the, in the ACAC um, St. Thomas, if they can, Actually, take a Lake Superior team that is, you know, played a little bit better in the second half, but maybe try to get a sweep um, yeah. at an opportune time to try to get them some momentum heading in. Um, so those would be sort of my ones to watch. But. Yeah, you mentioned Quinnipiac too. That Brown team they have on Saturday has given some teams fits as well too. The other thing about not the ECAC but Hockey East, you look at the standings: BU forty-one points, Northeastern forty, Merrimack thirty-six, UConn thirty-five, UMass Lowell and Providence both at thirty, and then Maine, BC. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont at 23, 21, 19, 19, and 15. So uh, that conference is split almost right down the middle, and all the teams in either end of that are a lot closer than you might imagine. So certainly a lot of intrigue for Hockey East as to what they're going to bring to the table as we look forward here. But moving over to NCHC things and taking a look at the pairwise as well. Uh, the NCHC, of course, only had two matchups this previous week. Colorado College traveling to Omaha. UNO a 3-2 overtime victory on the first night. And Colorado College a 3-2 shootout victory in the second night. A pair of games. Good showings for both clubs, I think, all things considered here. The Tigers showing their worth against an Omaha team that has surprised us a little bit. And an Omaha doing their job against a Tiger team that has surprised everybody else except for the Huskies Warming House podcast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a pretty good weekend series. And then North Dakota being swept 5-3 and 5-2 by Denver. Probably one of the few times where Huskies fans would have taken a North Dakota victory as well as a sweep here, but it did not happen. Fighting Hawks still stuck in seventh in the NCHC standings. Duluth, Miami, Western, and St. Cloud all off this past weekend. Uh, so the men's team, of course, getting... Much-needed rest. What's on tap here? Omaha travels to Miami. Colorado College will travel to Kalamazoo and face Western Michigan. Duluth faces Denver in Denver. So Denver, a pair of uh, home game matchups, a four-game set, so to speak. And St. Cloud will travel to Grand Forks, Ralph Engelson Arena, to face North Dakota. Um, before we get to that matchup, let's take a look at the standings. Denver has pulled away. Um, because of their weekend against North Dakota. They are at 41 points right now. Uh, Western Michigan, St. Cloud in second and third, respectively, at 33 points. Omaha right there, same point value with 33. So second through four in the NCHC, all tied with everything to play for, with about four games remaining for each team. Uh, Minnesota Duluth 
has 23 points, as does Colorado College, vying for that fifth-place spot there. We talked about CC. Uh, sixth or better was a good season for them. They have a chance to do it here, uh, depending on St. Cloud's result this weekend and, of course, the way the Tigers play at Western Michigan. Uh, if you're a Huskies fan here, North Dakota's at 21. Uh, Miami is at 9. If you're a Huskies fan, obviously you'd like a St. Cloud sweep. You'd like a CC sweep. And you would like a Duluth sweep, all things considered, and a Miami sweep. Those would be what you would like as the bottom four, uh, all facing top four teams, actually. Kind of interesting the way that that is all shaken out is a, there's a, a top four team facing a bottom four team in all of the matchups this weekend. So a uh, big week you know, coming up for NCHC action. One, is there any matchup that intrigues you? And two, how do the Huskies, after a week off, handle North Dakota? Uh, you know... Yeah, you talk about the schedule, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that could be an absolute nightmare. Um, can't say that's any better, right? Uh, yeah. North Dakota got swept by Denver. Now, mind you, Denver is good, but North yep. Dakota, um, they're not going to be happy and they're going to be back on home ice. And for St. Cloud, you're going to have to be ready. You're going to really have to be ready. In fact, if anything, um, that start's going to be so important. We talked about it yesterday during the girls' high school hockey game. Um, as the number one seed, it was Lakeville South actually gets the bye, and for Northfield they went uh, and they played the uh, the previous week. Um, had so they had momentum. You know they were fresh, and you could just see Lakeville South just wasn't. Uh, let's just say up to 100 percent, right? They just looked a little bit, uh, not you know lazy, but they just looked a little bit slow. Um, but at the end of it, for St. Cloud, you have to avoid that. Um, you, you have, shall we say, when was the last time that we could say North Dakota was like a fish that was drawing blood in the water? You have to be the shark, yeah. right? North Dakota is wounded. Um, and you have to be able to, even after a bye week, uh, have that killer mentality to come in, even if it's on the road, and really establish yourself. Um, and St. Cloud, could we argue, Noah, that? Maybe they've been stewing on the Miami series a little bit too. So maybe there's some emotion there that they want to get out. Um, so that to me is uh, intriguing. And then for the rest of the NCHC, right? Um, I think for, uh, I want to see how CC and Western Michigan does. Honestly, yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm at. Because uh, CZ had a decent showing last weekend, and see if they can keep, uh, you know, a bit of a better standing so, uh, for them in, in the uh, in the NCHC. It's kind of, you know, two separate grids. You're in your top four, your next three, then Miami, of course. Unfortunately for them, um, so I, I want to see if they can continue that momentum. Omaha is an intriguing squad that I want to see because they've. Um, they're in the top four right now, uh, yeah. and they look like they've been a pretty consistent squad. So. That's that's kind of what, what, what I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up uh, the tournament history here for uh, the NCHC Frozen Faceoff. I want to see um, if there's any sort of, of course, this is the timeline of the conference pieces here. I wanted to see if there has been any other season for the NCHC in which North Dakota has not made the NCHC Frozen Faceoff here, and I would imagine it would have come somewhere early. Uh, on here, but it's kind of hard to read this. So, um, but very curious. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know if it's happened yet. This, this could potentially be the first year that North Dakota would not be able to uh, uh, make the big dance. Should they get a matchup? They could, if the Huskies finish in second, they could get St. Cloud in the first round matchup as well. Could get Western, could get Omaha. Um, I think Denver is a bit too far away. I think they're going to be the Penrose champions unless something crazy happens. Um, 
you know, they just, they've kind of pulled too far away. I feel like in my opinion, but yeah, I mean, a lot of intriguing matchups, obviously this week in the NCHC St. Cloud, like you mentioned, they've got to be ready. They've got to uh, be ready to take a couple of crucial points here uh, this series, especially, but of course uh, the series against Duluth as well, too, they've really got to be on their a game playing their best hockey as they approach the playoff push here. So um, if you're looking, there is, uh, NCHC historical info on college hockey news. You can find the historical, but I don't have time to sift through all of them one by one here. So uh, feel free to check that out if you would like. Uh, pairwise action here, of course, NCHC teams. Miami is stuck at 44 right now, right below Northern Michigan. Uh, Huskies fans paying attention. Your pals, Wisconsin, down to 36, Nick. They've dropped a little bit, yep. actually, as of recent. Uh, as far as other teams here, Minnesota Duluth is still behind North Dakota at 24 uh, technically 25, North Dakota at 22, um, Omaha at 17, which surprises me a little bit. I know their non-conference wasn't that great, uh, but they're having a very good NCHC season. So they're right next to Notre Dame and UConn. Notre Dame occupying the 16 spot, Northeastern at 15, Michigan State, Mankato, Michigan Tech, Harvard round out your um, outside the top 10, so to speak. Cornell is at 10, Ohio State at 9, Western Michigan, an NCAC team at 8, right next to St. Cloud at 7, Penn State at 6, Denver is at 5. Denver has the second-best win percentage ranking behind only Quinnipiac, who is at 2, Michigan at 3, BU at 4, and, of course, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, even with their blemish, still sit atop the pairwise. Any surprises here? Alaska's at 18, 19. Um, any surprises here? The the highest Atlantic hockey team is RIT at twenty. Is there anything that you that you've been seeing that you'd like to point out? Not really. Um, Maine is at twenty seven, despite despite their poor poor hockey East record. So yeah. Um, if anything, just the the rapid slope of Arizona State. If yeah, it's down to forty two. Um. Uh, you can even throw Northern Michigan there. Bemidji has also really fallen off the docket on uh, the second half of the season. I'm yeah. trying to see. They're, they're, they're at 30. They're at 30. Other Minnesota schools, St. Thomas at 47. Yeah. Um, so not really that surprised. Uh, UConn um, now kind of on the outside bubble looking in at 17. Uh, more of like, okay, they're actually closer than people think uh, in terms of, you know, being in the top 16. Um, other than that, um, if we go back to the very beginning, we'd be like, because, you know, it's it's always the conversation around one team. It's Harvard, right? Yeah. Um, because they, we talk about scheduling and are they really that good? Uh, yeah. In fact, they'll be, uh, again, playing for a Beanpot title. In fact, was it Harvard and uh, Northeastern the first time in Beanpot's history? What, 70 plus years that those two teams meet in the final? How about that for a yeah. you know, little caveat? That's kind of interesting. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, Nothing I, really surprising, but I suppose when you only have four teams in a tournament, you're bound to see each other more than once, though, huh? Um, you would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> with that being said, uh, um, moving over here, Nick, WCHA women's things going on here, and intriguing as we approach the last week of the regular season here, the Huskies did not hurt themselves necessarily, but they've created a very good showdown as we enter the final week of the regular season. Let's get you caught up. From what happened last week here, St. Thomas traveled to Ohio State. It was 6-1 and 5-0 for the Buckeyes. Bemidji State traveled to Mankato. Mankato winning 3-2 and 4-0. If you were a Huskies fan, you needed a Bemidji State win at some point in there. Wisconsin traveled to Minnesota. 3-2 shootout victory for the Badgers and 7-5 in night number two. And St. Cloud, 2-1 shootout 
uh, finish for Duluth, and then 2 nothing victory for the Bulldogs in regulation. So the Huskies picking up uh, some crucial points there. Uh, any of those scores in the WCHA that caught your eye? I know that Wisconsin-Minnesota matchup was obviously a very big one. Uh, yeah, very big one. Um, not necessarily. I think it went just about as what we expected, um, at least from you yeah. know the scores wise. Um, I don't really know. Uh, I just how how about the barn burner uh, with uh, those two teams seven to five in the second one? Holy cow! Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Nothing. Yeah, nothing too crazy. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Bemidji would maybe continue their recent streak of good success here. Um, apologies for those listening. If it sounds like my voice is starting to fade, done a lot of hockey and a lot of it was it that is. darn darn TV <laughs> interview that uh, really got me. Obviously, um, so Friday two to one shootout victory um, for the Bulldogs, officially credited as a one to one tie as far as rankings are concerned. Uh, scoring got started with Gabby Hughes on the power play for. Duluth in the middle of the second period and then the Huskies with about three and a half minutes to play Emma Gentry from Addie Scribner to tie that hockey game uh Maggie Flaherty was the only goal scorer in three rounds of shootout action Gentry Newland Himlerova uh misses on the Huskies side so uh St. Cloud was 28 for 68 for a 41.1 percent face-off percentage not ideal uh shots 44 21 in favor of the Bulldogs how about this, though? Jojo Choback, 43 of 44 for a 977. That'll play. Yeah. Uh, Emma Soderberg, 20 of 21 for a 952. So a good matchup on the other side. Uh, Huskies were 0 for 2 on the man advantage, of course, to lose scoring one goal on their three opportunities. On Saturday night, Duluth, a 2-0 finish here. Second goal was an empty netter. The first goal, essentially the game winner, on the power play, Ashton Bell at the 15-52 mark of the second period. Huskies were outshot 32-15, but were better in the faceoff dot, 51%, 23 for 45. Sonia Hola, 30 out of 31, a 9-6-8. Unfortunately, her counterpart, Emma Soderberg, stopped 15 of 15 and was perfect. So goaltending has not been the issue for the Huskies as... No, the the trend continues from previous years here. Uh, the only thing that St. Cloud really still has struggled with this year compared to other years historically uh, is suppressing shot volume against some of these teams here. They're giving up a lot of chances against here, but they're moving in the right direction uh, and they're going to need every bit of it. Huskies were 0 for 1 on the power play. Duluth, 1 for 4 on the power play. Not often you've seen this Huskies team get beat on the kill in back-to-back nights on the women's side here, and they were both the difference makers, so to speak, uh, in some senses. But where does this put us here, Nick? Uh, Ohio State, of course, atop the pack. They are at 66 points. Uh, Minnesota at 62. Wisconsin is at 58. They round out the top three. Minnesota-Duluth, not going to be touched. They're going to be in fourth place at 48 points regardless. So those are your home teams for the WCHA. Your eighth and seventh place spots are Bemidji State and St. Thomas, respectively. Uh, The only way that that could change is if Bemidji wins them all and St. Thomas wins nothing uh, coming up into the last weekend, which uh, would be, um, yeah, Bemidji has Duluth. So they they have a tough task. They have a tough task for them coming up here. Uh, But here is the matchup that everybody is looking for. Like we mentioned, Duluth traveling to Bemidji, Minnesota traveling to St. Thomas, Ohio State has Wisconsin Saturday, Sunday for a matchup of the big three. St. Cloud, 30 points. Minnesota State, 30 points. Mankato travels to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center this weekend for the final regular season action, and this will decide who gets Duluth and who gets Wisconsin 
likely unless something crazy changes uh, for that fourth or excuse me for that fifth and sixth place spot in the WCHA everything to play for here Huskies have to take at least uh, four out of well technically they just have to take three out of six points three. I guess yeah I think technically um, because they have the tiebreaker right now but I don't know if they would still hold it depending on what the results look like as far as wins both teams in the WCHA um 26 games played, 9, 16, and 1 are the records, both 0 and 2 in overtime wins and losses. So um, maybe you probably have to have four out of six, actually, you know, when it comes down to it, just because. Tiebreaker. Yep. As to what that would look like. What are your thoughts on last weekend? What are your thoughts on the last matchup of the regular season? So you got to be happy, first of all, to beat Wisconsin in their own building. Um, holy cow, right? Or sorry, what Wisconsin? <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. It's my brain is scrambled. I'm still in last week. No, Minnesota Duluth. Um, the shootout win. Yes. So, you know, you, you, it's like you said, this, this team has prided itself on defensive structure. It's prided itself on, you know, clogging the middle, uh, being really a tough team to get through the blue paint. Um, but unfortunately, they're just they're a team right now, as you mentioned, that offensively they're just they they get peppered quite a bit. Um, these goaltenders show back in Sonia Hola. Um, you know, and Brian Idolski is very, very complimentary of these ladies. Again, two number one starters on teams. He rotates them in and out. Um, you kind of wonder where this team would be this season if they didn't have this tandem. You, you yeah. really do. Um, now granted, there's been some progress, right? Um, and Duluth has had quite the year, especially was it probably what November, December, they started to really sort of pick up steam. Yeah. Uh, and was curious how that matchup was going to be. Of course, Emma Soderberg, that starting gig, Jojo Choback, the former Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. So, mm-hmm. and so then uh, you drop it in a shootout, uh, but you still get, you know, a little bit on the, uh, in terms of, was it just a point there in the WCHA? Then you're able to score then uh, in the second game. Uh, to nothing, but you know, overall, you held, you hung with them, right? This yeah. this little team is no joke. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess the only disappointing part is, you know, you just you couldn't get enough offensive support. I mean, you hold the Bulldogs, which have had um, some good scoring problems here, that to three goals in the weekend. That's that's pretty good defensively. Um, just unfortunate that you were unable to, you know, kind of help out that part of your game was some yeah, two great two great goaltending performances and you mentioned how good Duluth is as well too but two uh back-to-back really great weekends all things considered for this Huskies club unfortunately not a ton to show for it I mean three total points between Wisconsin and Duluth but all of them are crucial obviously as we take yeah. a look at the standings here and Mankato and St. Cloud you know makes me feel a little bit better regardless of who you get between Wisconsin and Duluth um makes me feel better about where you might be at in that first round matchup in the playoffs here. Uh, the question is, where would you be traveling here? Uh, what do you expect from Mankato here as we approach uh, the final matchup of the regular season? You know, both both teams, right? You know what's the last weekend of the regular season. Um, you you got to lay it all out there, right? Um, and for Mankato, you're trying to, uh, well, you're, you're trying to, you know, get ahead. I mean, I'm not sure what's worse right now, Noah, right? Is if, if you're St. Cloud, you, you take on Duluth, um, and if you're Minnesota State, if they started where you would pick, you know, you would take Wisconsin, right? Uh, pick your poison, right? Uh, yeah. You know, um, it's it's not ideal for either way. Uh, but 
St. Cloud has beaten Wisconsin. I don't believe they have beaten Minnesota Duluth this year, if I recall. Um, so if you're Mankato and if you're St. Cloud, I, th- I think you're just, again, you're just trying to keep some momentum going, right? I, you Both these teams want these games and it's going to be a pretty hard fought battle. And because uh, now it's, you know, it seems like these are just about set in terms of the, the way that the standings have, have, have kind of laid out, at least as far as the, the tiers and home ice and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, you know, you're just trying to put yourself in the best position. So that way, when we get past this upcoming weekend, uh, you're feeling good about your game. You're feeling good about, uh, you know, your chances. And, and for St. Cloud, again, we talked about how we would measure success this season. I think regardless of what happens in the playoffs, I think we can call this quite the campaign for the Huskies. I think I want to throw that out there right away. Granted, it's not done yet, but if you can put an exclamation point on that uh, and maybe pick up two crucial wins against Minnesota State and you know rightfully cement yourself as the sole possessor of number five, um, that'd be a nice way to end the regular season and uh, should be feeling good going into the playoffs. Yeah, and you think about kind of the idea that your playoff starts this weekend in some senses. Uh, The only way that some of these would change here, Minnesota would have to get swept by St. Thomas and Wisconsin would have to sweep Ohio State for the Badgers to jump into second place. Minnesota, of course, would have to take at least five points out of six in their weekend against St. Thomas and Wisconsin uh, would basically have to sweep Ohio State or hold them to at least one point. Uh, as far as Minnesota Duluth, they will not catch anybody above them. They will not be caught by anybody below them. So they are uh, safe, essentially, in that last home spot in fourth place. St. Cloud obviously could be caught by Mankato this weekend uh, and you know, vice versa. Um, and then on the other side of things, St. Thomas uh, is sitting in seventh place. The only way that that would change is if they are swept by Minnesota, which could happen, but Bemidji State would have to sweep Duluth this weekend for them to climb into that seventh spot and get either Minnesota, Ohio State, or Wisconsin in whatever capacity that is going to be. So still some intrigue in the WCHA, and I'm going to put it out here right now. Last time I checked, Mankato is traveling to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center in St. Cloud, Minnesota. If you are a Huskies fan, especially knowing that the men are on the road this weekend, yes, get out there. Be in that building for the final regular season matchup. This will be the final home game regardless for the Huskies women's team this season. And this is one of the best teams that we have seen historically in this program in I mean, I don't know how you can hype up this matchup anymore. Both teams at 30 points. Fifth place is on the line. Uh be there, be square, seriously. Um, I, I know that if I was a player, knowing that you know, I was playing for that tiebreaker, so to speak, heading into the playoffs, I would want a very good crowd on hand uh, to help me you know, push through and have that home ice advantage against a Mankato team that has been playing well also as of recent. So obviously some great hockey coming out on the women's side. We'll probably dive into them a little bit deeper next week just because we'll have the playoff picture already and set. Uh, Minnesota Wild. Here, as we move over to the last portion of the main show here, uh, the wild here. Uh, oh, boy. Sit- yeah, not exactly the greatest week. Uh, they are actually sitting in the second wild card spot. They um, had a minus seven goal differential this week here, um, which is what I would characterize as not exactly ideal. Uh, 52 games for them, same as the Colorado. Sorry, Colorado actually has one game in hand. Apologies. Uh, 28, 20, and 4 for 60 points. Both teams tied at 60. Colorado has, like we mentioned, one game in hand and uh, essentially one less loss than the Wild have. Uh, 
other things to note, four, six, and one in their last 10. Uh, they're right in the middle of a seven-game homestand. Uh, in the past week, they lose to Arizona, Dallas, Vegas, and then a shootout win last night against a very good New Jersey Devils squad. So that was good to see at least. Um, but they are uh, three points out of first in the wild card. So they are actually closer to being in third in the central than they are in the wild card because of the success that Calgary and LA have had in front of them. Uh, what's on tap? They have Florida this Monday, tomorrow at home, Colorado at home on Wednesday. That's kind of an important one. Uh okay. And then they've got Dallas at home Friday, Nashville at home on Sunday. Um, Yeah, I mean, I got to take in last week, I got to take in about half of the Arizona game, most of the Dallas game, and and I wanted to say most of the Vegas game, but I'm going to be honest, after it was 5-1 after 2, I definitely shut the TV off, and I did not get to see the game yesterday, which they clawed back in. But, uh, yeah, those first three games of the week, uh, self-implosion, shooting yourself in the foot, uh, not ideal at all and this is you know i you know i get i know we give a lot of people a lot of flack but uh you know throw the Derek felski as a in here for this week i mean sometimes some of the negativity is slightly warranted uh, i think for this team because they're doing exactly what minnesota sports fandom didn't want them to do is be mediocre enough to just make the playoffs but not good enough to do any damage i think that's the perfect characteristic of this team we've talked about it all year where we've tried to hope that they were going to ride the wave and finally find that momentum at the right time. Uh, they found momentum this week, Nick, but it was kind of in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. And uh, it puts <laughs> it puts the job of Bill Guerin into a much tougher position, um, if you think about it, right? Because now with a second wild card spot, now you're really into uh, just really analyzing who your team is, right? Um, yeah. Because if you – and here's what we know. This team is having almost no – ability to score five on five uh that's a problem um it seems like uh there's certain guys in depth like sam Steele just hasn't really been able to uh shall we say uh, produce in that role they was between um i'm curious what jordan greenway's future looks like i'm curious as to whether eric's neck and if you do make a move of that grief line right because that grief line has been sort of the catalyst it's been the driver of the squad if even one of those players gets traded there goes the grief line. Yep. And so you kind of wonder, was that, what does that signal? Then do you move Erickson up to the top line? Um, just to try to spark something. I don't, I don't know. Cause I know that you know, there's been a lot of people out there that have been uh, sort of, you know, being critical of the line combinations. And uh, you know, unfortunately when you're not scoring five on five, I'm not sure what else you can do as a coach, but just to move things around and just give it a shot. Right. Sometimes you get lucky and then some, some things that you don't maybe think, think will work or whatnot all of a sudden they're just fantastic right um but more so um can we talk about the elephant in the room too sure. Marco flurry has not been great yeah he has not been great um and philip gustafson continues and can be plug us a bit proves us that we were correct the entire freaking time since before the season even started i'm sorry i we have to i have to put that out there because we've been saying the whole time this is a good goaltender. He's sounding right now. He's out playing Marc-Andre Fleury. And you kind of wonder if they start to ride him down the stretch a little bit just to try to get this team buoyed a little bit as they continue to struggle scoring. This is it's a, not a good spot. And trade yeah, deadline now two weeks away. Um, do you buy? Do you sell? Because um, now this puts the spotlight right over Matt Dumba, right? Because if you feel like 
you're going to be in a, at least a decent playoff position or feel like that spot is somewhat secure. You feel like your team is rolling in the right direction. I, I think you can entertain keeping him. Um, but now it's like, I need a score. So now do you actually throw him out there and do you make the trade now? Although when we saw those two games and he was a healthy scratch, that defensive court did not look good either. Um, I'm curious to you, Noah, what you would do if you're GM Bill Guerin here. Um, if the mm-hmm. team is reeling, um, you have obvious holes where this team can't score yet. Um, and you've got players that are upcoming UFAs. I mean, this is, you know, you're talking about the worst spot to be for a GM come trade on. This might be one of the worst spots to be in. Honestly, the only thing that plays in my mind is the the SpongeBob episode with the magic conch. They pull the string and, you know, <laughs> what, what should we do now? And it says nothing. And, I hate to break it to you, Wild fans. I think that's about where we're at. I mean, maybe you look at a guy like Jordan Greenway and maybe offloading it, but really, what's your return? Every team knows that he's been injury-prone a little bit. Yes, when he's on and he's effective, you know, the big rig is certainly a terrifying force down in the corners, but I don't know that you do much of anything if you're the Wild, honestly. I mean, I think you just you stick with what you have and you see how it ends up and then you move on from there i mean just with your cap space you are so so hampered you're essentially playing at you know two-thirds 67 70 percent of what everybody else has available to them in the national hockey league so i don't know that you really do anything uh and i know that's a a tough thing to say but what what move are you going to make with the available cap space that one is going to make you better for something of a pure rental and two what's going to make you better as far as like prospects or pipeline or consistent NHLers down the road here, the package that you would have to give up to get a guy like, well, you know, for example, like your Vladimir Tarasenko's your Bo Horvat's things to give up. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, I don't think he does much of anything. Maybe he moves one guy here or there, but I don't know that there's, there's not a big enough fix or a quick enough fix for this wild team based on the trade parameters they have. That's going to slot into the lineup and suddenly, do things maybe a defenseman that's a good reliable defenseman and that's that's hard to come by um here's the move that i would make Noah, and that is you you do make a move but and we're going to talk about this team a little bit but i think you do call up sammy walker yeah um i i think he may i mean he and it's a tough position right because you don't want to put the pressure um of a, of a young kid who's tearing up the AHL, right? Um, 40 yeah. points and I believe 41 games, 21 goals for uh, the former golfer. But um, I think you do that. And no, just, I agree for sure. Um, there's been a lot of people asking, well, what about Marco Rossi? I actually say you keep Marco Rossi down. Yeah. And the reason I say that is um, I, th- and I think he's got 28 points and 29 games down in Iowa. We're going to do a deep dive, obviously coming up here soon. So I won't spoil it too much, but um, just from a management standpoint, a personnel development management, I think if there's any person that right now could slot in and maybe provide a spark, it's Sammy Walker. Um, and that may be your only move if you're Bill Guerin. And I'm a little shocked. He hasn't called him back up. Um, and maybe, and maybe Noah, is it you know, is it just to try to keep, you know, the the player, meaning Sammy Walker, from being put into a situation where he feels like he has to be the guy. Also, you're you're trying to, 
you know, sort of manage the Mason Shaw type, you know what? So you would have to make an additional move to bring him up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mason uh, Shaw has been the most productive at, at compared to when you look at like Jordan Greenway and others. He's actually been one of the more productive guys actually in this lineup relative to you yeah. know, what he brings and how he drives possession. Uh, Brett Marshall uh, actually did a really good job actually on Twitter a couple of days ago, highlighting that as well, too. So, um, no, I definitely agree that Sammy Walker at some point will get a shot. The question is how close, because of course, as we'll dive into Iowa, their situation is precarious as far as their standings as well, too. And I'm sure they want all the help that they can get. If you've got a guy who's a point per game player, it's you know something you don't want to lose easily. Exactly. Um, you know, even and that's the thing is you look at that. You know, obviously the Wild want to make the playoffs and be successful as well, too, and it pushes a little deeper in the AHL schedule, but. You know, if you're if you're Bill Guerin and you look at this wild as a second wild card team, do you really want to disrupt what's going on for Iowa? Like I know that sounds right. I know people I know people think on the idea that yes, it's the big club, they're the priority. Yes, you call guys up to make sure you're making the playoffs. That's where all the money is. I certainly agree, but at the same time, you know, Sammy Walker, as great of a player as he is, is not going to be the knight in shining armor for this wild team. He could play very well. I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't, but he has been the knight in shining armor for this Iowa wild team. Yes, and it's, yes. do you want to disrupt some of that and what they've got going on down there too, knowing that the wild have been middling at best for the yep. big club. Um, I don't really know the answer here. It like, I think what we're getting to here for sure though, most of these moves, if not all of them around the trade deadline, around the playoff push are going to be internal. And that's yep. where you're, you're looking in. You talked about Marco Rossi as well too. Um, you know, is he a centerman that you believe is going to make a big enough of an impact at the NHL level that he's warranted pushing somebody out of a roster spot and filling the center of the ice? I don't know. Um, right. I, I kind of lean towards no, just based on what we've seen. Um, but, you know, crazier things have obviously happened. Just don't give up a first rounder for Martin Hansel again, please. Uh, <laughs> I don't think, uh, and that's the other thing too, right, is, you know, with a, a deep of a draft that you're coming up, you're not parting ways with draft picks as hey, again, you've got now two of the worst of the cap hits coming up for Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter buyouts there against yeah. 14 plus million. And, so you need those cheaper contracts. You do. And you and you've got 30 games left. You know, if the wild go like three hundred or four hundred overall in winning percentage in those thirty games and miss the playoffs. It's not the worst thing in the world for this team. I you know, like No, it, it's you know, and and, and if anything, you know, here to throw an even more big of a wrench in this whole thing, right? Knowing that is uh, with the Bally Sports situation again, uh, it's expected they will file bankruptcy on Monday uh, uh, tomorrow, as as we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, yeah. What does that do to NHL revenues, right? So does that impact the salary cap, right? So yes. um, is that important? Yeah, a little bit, right? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. Uh, so uh, just I think we'll 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 stop. We'll, we'll quit with this. And that is upcoming uh, free free agent. So Ryan Reeves, uh, 1.75 million. Um, that he's an unrestricted free agent. Freddie Goudreau, um, at 1.2. He's an interesting uh, name to watch. Uh, again, the seven million dollar cap hit starts next year for uh, Matt Boldy with his extension. Uh, Sam Steele is an RFA. Um, after some of the way he's been playing, I, I you kind of wonder if he'll even get a qualifying offer. Um, Brandon Duhame as well as Mason Shaw. And then how about this? Uh, we all know about Matt Dumma, Kalen Addison, another restricted free agent. But I think a bigger one, Philip Gustafson is a restricted free agent. And because of his service, he's got arbitration rights. So, right. yikes. Um, so, <laughs> great. when you look at that picture, Noah, you almost get the sense that maybe – regardless of it, 
do you are you forced to make a move like are you like just just to be like hey if this is this is one if i'm going to get a return like for matt dumba if i maybe even trade him for picks um it's better than nothing um this is it's an intriguing puzzle and let's just say this thank goodness i'm not in bill garen's shoes it's not that's not a puzzle yeah. have, have we have we seen bill garen pull the trigger for the sake of pulling the trigger though like that's just not no, him right um you know he's a very calculated human i think and uh yes He's in a tough spot. And I, you know, I think whatever move he makes, it's going to be scrutinized. Uh, you know, it's not going to be perfect if he makes any right. moves at all, which is also not making a move is a move. Um, if you know right. what I mean. So uh, we'll have to see the wild are certainly reeling for the most part in recent games here. Uh, could they go on a tear? I mean, the thing that's nice is yes, they're one game out of hand for Colorado, but Colorado's eight, two and one in their, last 11 or whatever it is or eight one and one in their last 10 uh so it's taken that much of a push for the abs who are finally getting healthy to get back within striking distance of the wild so i mean it hasn't been a terrible season they're just they're just very meh you know like a lot of those teams like obviously dallas is a great team all you know teams that are atop the pacific vegas is a good team on the eastern side the boston bruins lost in regulation last night for only the second time uh, at home uh, this season, uh, they lost to Seattle earlier, and I forget who they lost to last night. But uh, um, that's the thing is you're just not in that upper echelon right now, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, the Wild are just kind of in a tough spot. But we're here. We're going to cover it, and we're going to see what's going on. Uh, they do have, according to many, though, one of the best prospect pipelines in the National Hockey League. And that, of course, starts with Tim Ar- Army down in the Iowa Wild. So we will head on to our extra ice session where we will deep dive the AHL club. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 149. Myself, Noah Grant, joined by Nick Maxson at Nick Maxson PXP on Twitter. Myself at STSU Hockey 91. Find us at Warming House Den on the same platform as long as Elon Musk doesn't blow it up. Speaking of not blowing things up, the Iowa Wild currently sitting fifth uh, in uh, the Central Division in the AHL here with. Uh, I believe it's 25 games left to play. Their next game will be Wednesday uh, and then Friday um, on the road in Manitoba. So uh, you take a look at this team, like we mentioned, uh, precariously in fifth, technically tied for fourth with the team they're about to play in Manitoba. Um, Of course, Manitoba three games in hand and then Rockford one point ahead at 54 points compared to 53 for the previous two clubs. Um, Grand Rapids and Chicago in sixth and seventh, they're out of the mix. And then, Milwaukee at 59 points and Texas at 61, kind of a little bit uh, higher up if, as far as that push is concerned here. But uh, the Iowa Wild here, Nick, first of all, um, exciting to be finally talking about this group here and talking about some of the great players that are obviously a part of this Iowa club here. They were in third in the Central last week when we were getting ready to preview them. Of course, they'd slipped, slipped in relative terms, I guess. Uh, I guess the most nerve-wracking thing here is the Wild have their own fate to play for here with a game there, you know, a team three games in hand against the Manitoba Moose, a two game set for them have a really good chance to buy themselves some space, so to speak here. But uh, number one question, have you ever been to an Iowa wild game being so close to Iowa? And of course I've always wanted to go. And, you know, one of the things that I will say for whoever's listening, their, their website and their promotional package and their layout of 
you know, those sorts of things to make fan interest into the Iowa Wild effective. Whoever does their social media and their platform for the website does a fantastic job, by the way. It's fun to actually sift through uh, their website and take a look at some of the great things they've got going on. And if I was down in the area, I would be definitely going to uh, one of those games. And then, of course, the ECHL, the Iowa Heartlanders as well, too. Um, but certainly a great building there. I mean, maybe maybe we'll have to take a trip one day, Nick. What do you think? You're, you're a little bit closer than I am, though. So. A little bit. But, little bit. Uh, yeah, uh, Iowa Wild here. I'm going to kind of let you take the lead a little bit here. Where do you want to start? What What would you like to talk about first as far as the team? Would you like to talk about records? Would you like to talk about players? Where do we want to start here? Let's start with the players. Okay. Well, no secret. We just talked about it. Sammy Walker yep. <laughs> paces the team, 40 points in 40 games played, 21 goals, 19 assists, like you had mentioned previously. Uh, certainly having a decent season by all things considered. Joe Hicketts, uh, Next on the docket, actually, as a defenseman, 34 points in 47 games for him. Uh, Nick Patan, no surprise that he's third on that list. Marco Rossi is fifth, uh, 28 points in 29 games, has been productive, almost a point-per-game player, uh, three power play goals and plus five um, in his time down there. So uh, is there any player, obviously, that you know you like to highlight, but is there anybody here that stands out that maybe doesn't get a whole lot of love uh, You know, as far as Iowa Wild hockey is concerned? Uh, I think he gets it in Iowa, but in a, and I know that wild fans were crazy about him. How about uh, Adam Beckman? Yeah. Uh, you know, 17 goals, uh, which I believe is second on the team, uh, 26 points. But uh, his big knock is his consistency, right? Um, he's a guy that drives possession. He's a guy that likes to shoot the puck. There's, and he showed that again with uh, his uh, call up a, just a little bit ago with the wild, right? He had a, a couple of game stints, um, but defensively still, has some learning to do on the defensive side of the game, but uh, you know, as, as far as carrying offense, uh, he's been he's been the goal scorer, um, you know, behind Sammy Walker. Um, and then, uh, how about journeyman Andre Schuster? Um, yeah. You know, as far as being a, a big physical presence, uh, again, he's what six seven. He's a, he's a monster, um, and not only has he got uh, twelve points, he's a plus twelve on the season. So he's actually in a, in a really good position as far as, uh, you know, it'd be on the right side of the puck too. Um, so, uh, that to me is kind of where I kind of, I go with that. Um, anybody else that you want to highlight? Oh, how, how about this? Here's a fun fact. Um, former Husky, Sam Hanches, gold center, Jesper Wallstad has the same amount of goals as him. One. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah, actually well, to be fair, Hanches has been out, most of the year with an injury, I believe, a lower <laughs> body. So um, I like to give him crap. But yeah, Wallstead, how about that? Uh, to, be, I think, to be fair, Mason Shaw only has one goal in two games as well, too. So yeah, right. So, um, but I, I think <clears throat> I think the future of the Wild, um, and we're talking both Iowa, the big club, uh, you talk about West, uh, Jesper Wallstead, holy cow, um, was the team's all star. Um, yeah, you, you kind of wonder what. You know, I would say probably he's got another year down the AHL. You ride out the Mark Andre Fleury contract. Um, what do you think, Noah? Or with the money situation, Philip Gustafson, are they able to retain him? Yeah, kind of an interesting piece. Uh, obviously, he's really the goaltender of the future. I mean, his success has certainly been impressive, obviously. The other guy that I wanted to highlight before we get back to the goaltending situation, because I imagine it's going to take us a while to sort through that. How about Joe Hicketts? Uh, you know, just, and and not just because of his point production, yes, it steps off the page, but he's the same birth year as I am a 96. So he's 26, almost 27 years old here. uh, If he hasn't had his birthday already, but you know, four goals, 30 assists here. You look at a guy like that. I mean, there's somebody that, you know, 
does Bill Guerin look at a guy like that and say, oh, if we lose Matt Dumba for nothing and we can't fill anything externally, you know, and Alex Golgowski continues to struggle, does he get a call up? Does he get a look at the big club here? You know, I mean, that's... I mean, they gave... Uh... Uh, who, who am I thinking? They gave John Lozada call. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna guess Joe Higgins is maybe a little bit more fleet of foot than he is. A little um, bit, yeah, yeah, even with maybe one cement scape. And, uh, you know, with that being said, you know, Kalen Addison obviously spent a lot of time here as well, too, to be productive at the AHL level. Tim Army, one of his great assets is getting a team ready, mm-hmm. uh, and getting players ready, uh, to play at the next level. So, um, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe he gets a look or maybe, you know, come training camp next year, maybe he's somebody that kind of flies under the radar and then suddenly has a good camp and maybe gets a bigger look than maybe we anticipate depending on the offseason moves for the wild. But yes, you talked about goaltending uh, here. In fact, let me pull up the goaltender tab just so I make sure that I'm saying the appropriate things. Zane McIntyre, of course, has been the more appropriate call up as far as, you know, some of the pieces for the wild as far as emergency situations they're mm-hmm. waiting for yes for wall set to feel like he is the guy one of the things that is interesting reading articles in the athletic about him is that he's somebody who's a very he just loves to be at the rink he loves the game you saw him jamming uh you know listening to the music in that game a couple of weeks ago too yeah. you know he's someone that you know he's young only 20 21 years old but he you know brings a lot of flair I- into the goaltending position and you know that's something that i think is encouraging to see because Anytime you look at a goaltender, yes, you want them to be dialed in, but you also want to make sure that the moment doesn't seem too big for them. Uh, you know, in a 274 goals against uh, coming in with a 909 save percentage, which is not exceptional by any means, but Iowa has not been the strongest team, so to speak, uh, this season. So um, I don't really know what you'd do with him. In my mind, unless he has a great camp, I think maybe one more year or maybe at least the start of a year, but the goaltending situation if Flurry, for whatever reason, is really struggling, if Gustafson is on his way out, we could see him sooner rather than later. I know Capo Kakinen is having a decent little stint-ish uh, in San Jose, but mm-hmm. you look at that situation, a guy that you know kind of caught lightning in a bottle early, and then the Wild maybe rushed him a little bit too early into some of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that with Jesper Wallstead, because I know if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, for example, you picked a goaltender before him, and you feel like that you're missing out right now, and the Wild have to make sure they play their cards right with him. What do you think about the goaltending situation down in Iowa? Um, you know, it's it's good, right? Again, the the team in front of them, uh, you know, has been, shall we say, suspect sometimes defensively when you look at their stats. Um, and in fact, on the season, uh, the Wild are. Um, they're at minus four, so they're not terrible. Um, but you know, at the end of it for a goaltending position, you and I both know this, and for those who've, who've, you know, done the systems checks, um, goaltending numbers can be either inflated or they can also be, shall we say a cover, you know, right for, for the team, right. Um, their goaltend, you know, their, their team stats and for a team like Iowa that, you know, do they? Yes, Sammy Walker, and they have a couple, but really, the the depth isn't crazy there for goal scoring. Yeah, after a couple of people, and and you look at the sorry to jump in, but you look at the yes for Wallset splits. You know, in his game logs, of course, allowed five early in the season and six goals early in the season in his first five games. Other than that, he allowed five goals against Rockford in the middle of December, and since then, he's been stellar, except for the previous game against Chicago where he allowed six. I mean, how about this log since between that time where they played Rockford on December 13th, 
And then they played on February 11th last night, and he allowed five and six in those games respectively. Here's his goals allowed in his splits, Nick. 2-3-1-1-1-0-2-1-2-3-3. That's that's pretty good to give your yeah. give your team a chance most nights. Uh, his season high, he's had a couple games with 37 saves, uh, one with 36, and then, of course, a game against Rockford where he had 42 games ago uh, back in February. But, of course, they, the Wild were, or at least he was off for about a week uh, from his previous start until the last one, and Wild lost 6-5 uh, in extra session here. It actually was a hat trick. I forget who had the hat trick um, the other night. But, yeah, he, he certainly – has proved himself to be a capable goaltender. And part of those, you know, splits that 909 is certainly going to be effective when you allow six, um, unfortunately. So, but he is a guy that. And that was early on, right? Um, it, it is an adjustment from yeah. the European to the American game against smaller ice sheets. Um, the game is played a little bit different. So um, <clears throat> I think that was more, you know, growing pains um, than anything. Because when you look at, the way he plays, he's just so calm. He's so poised. He, his rebound control is so good, right? He doesn't um, overcommit. Um, he tracks pucks well, right? Um, just his fundamentals are so sound. Um, and then you put together with, um, again, just the way he mentally prepares for the games. He just never seems to get flustered. Um, I know he likes to take ownership. I know that was it two years ago in the World Juniors that he kind of made some noise of, oh, you know, I let my team down even though he gave up only like three goals. He's a competitor. Yeah. He's a competitor. And, and you know, that's kind of where it's like that flurry S comes into play where um, you know, they expect, you know, to stop every puck and, you know, granted and you know, the leagues, that's just not possible, right? But that's what they bring to the table is that they're, you know, almost ultra competitive against themselves, you know, where yeah. they expect the world and when they don't meet their own expectations, you know, they, they really are able to take ownership of that. So they really do have um, not only a special talent in Wellstead in terms of just how he plays, but he's the ultimate competitor in that way. You know, he's going to be the one that looks in the mirror and says, okay, you know, what went wrong here? I need to be better. Um, and he's not out there pointing fingers. So um like you said, he's going to be the goaltender of the future. Question is going to be uh, with the bigger puzzle. Um, and I think you're right. I think you have to leave him if you want um, it's for him to develop to sole potential. I think you have to give him next year too down in Iowa. I just think yeah. you have to. Um, I agree. Yep. You have another year of Mark Rinder Fleury. Um, I would think with Gustafson's play that that has done both good for Minnesota and bad because, again, a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Um, he's going to have a lot of leverage at the bargaining table. Um, and you kind of wonder what that picture will look like, or maybe what the priority is um, going into the off season here with Bill Guerin. So interesting picture, but I think again, if you want him to reach that, you know, first round uh, potential that again, in the, in this day and age, you just don't, do that for a goaltender unless you know he's good. Um, you got to make sure he gets his time to develop and adjust and go from there and not rush him like you mentioned. Yeah, I wonder if the team is getting skated hard a little bit. Like I mentioned, a uh, six-goal loss. Uh, it was actually in regulation. Apologies. 6-5 was the loss. Sam Hench has actually had an assist on one of Marco Rossi's goals yesterday. Um, actually, Iowa, uh, three goals in the span of two minutes and nine seconds, carrying a 4-1 to lead into the first intermission, losing that game 6-5 ultimately. Oof. Um, Adam Beckman with the hat trick and the loss. So um, kind of a tough one here. Uh, the Wolves clawed back uh, from 4-1 down to lead 6-4 at one point before Iowa came back within one. So like we mentioned, they've got some time off until they play on Wednesday. But uh, yeah, you kind of hope they can rebound from that. But 
yeah, the goaltending situation is an interesting one. And I know we talked about, you know, uh, you know, Wallstead spending another season there. I don't think that's the wrong move. I think with goaltenders, you just, you want to make sure that you're really sure guys like Marco Rossi in a similar boat, I think, uh, in terms of making sure that he's ready just because of his size a little bit and just his game seems a lot to be a little bit more mental uh, in terms of what he brings to the table. He's been productive down in the AHL. Before we get to Sammy Walker here, Nick, um, Marco Rossi, one, is he up for the playoff push at any point? And number two, regardless of what happens at the end of the season, unless unless he comes up to the big club and ends up tearing it up, okay, like he did in the preseason, what is the game plan for Bill Guerin and co. as they move forward with him? My answer is no. I don't think he comes up at all, honestly. Um, he talked about that also on Straight to the Source um, just this last week. Um, first of all, you know, when you brought him up, when we're, I shouldn't say brought him up, but when he made the opening night roster, right, there was expectations. It looked like he was maybe ready. And then when he got into actual uh, competition with against, you know, an adversary, right. it didn't look good, right? It just and they were just things where you just you felt like okay he's just not owning the puck right now yeah I mean, just not confident like guys yeah. that when you have the puck you got to feel like whatever you're going to do with it you're going to come in and make a play like you, right. you're you're crossing the blue line you're making this play and it just felt like it was almost like he was thinking exactly. too much about what could happen yeah correct yep so uh you know when you when you send them back down you know was it the right move? Yeah, of course. I don't think anybody is, you know, going to argue that. But now the question is, just like we've mentioned with the big club, right? Does it make sense not only for the big club, but does it make sense for the player right now? And I still think that Rossi is better suited just to stay there because you don't want to bring up a player, send him back down, <clears throat> excuse me, in the sense that, like you said, he's not going to be the savior coming in from the American yeah. Hockey League. And more importantly, if he's playing confident, you want him to ride that confidence throughout the rest of the season down there um, and reevaluate, I think, in the offseason. I just don't know that it would be the best for him to call him up right now. Um, and it's not about, and, and you know, the argument from some fans is, well, just like kind of Walker, right? Like, oh, they've earned these call-ups. Well, how does, you know, what do you say earned, right? Or if you're looking at just the stat sheet, okay, we can make an argument about production, but we can also have the argument that is the production and what we saw in the American Hockey League is not going to translate directly into the NHL, right? It, it, right? It's only half the puzzle. That is, what is Marco? And again, a lot of what got him back to the AHL is it wasn't that that he was not finding the score sheet. Yeah, that was a concern, but it was more like, hey, I'm just not being like a bully. It says, hey, this puck is mine off my stick, and I'm going to battle for it. It was his battle intensity sometimes. Again, like you mentioned, maybe overthinking the play sometimes. It's those mental type things that were the bigger reasons he was sent back down, and I just don't know where that is. I don't think any of us know. I, we know that the Minnesota Wild know that, and just based on development models and just based on if it's a mental thing, uh, I think you just leave him where he's at, where he's successful and continue to build on that success and not bring him up into a spot where, you know, the game is faster. Um, there is not as much room out there. Players are smarter. They can read plays, right? Um, you don't want him to be in that experience right now. Um, and can we play the devil's advocate to that, right? Knowing that is if you're the big club and you already have seen that behavior, of the big club before, 
do you really want to put him in that spot? Yeah. And also for the team in that spot, knowing that you're at a critical juncture, you're in the second wild card spot. You technically could be out of a spot right now if tiebreakers were one way or the other. Um, it's just not a good fit yeah. right now. And that's where you want utilitarian players. Your Adam Beckmans, your Nick Patans, and of course, your Sammy Walkers. Of course, Rossi, two years left after this season on his deal. Sammy Walker entering the last year of his deal next season. Uh, we've talked about it. You know, Sammy Walker, his ability to, you know, kind of finesse pucks out of corners. Not the biggest guy, not the most physical guy, but he very deft with it, deft with his stick, not deaf with his stick. Um, although, I don't know, could be, I guess. Um, right. But, you know, his ability to, uh, you know, use his hands and be able to use his footwork to create opportunities. We saw that at the big level. Um, I agree with you. I certainly think he, think he gets another look if the Wild are in a position to, you know, bring him up and feel that it's warranted with a playoff push they, if they feel that they're still in the hunt. I like what he brings to the table. It's interesting. We talked about, even last year, you and I both thought he might never get a shot at the NHL level just because right. of his size. And the year that he kind of finished with the, at the University of Minnesota um, has certainly developed very well. Credit Tim Army again and that and that staff down there. But, um, you know, one of the things that I don't think either of us anticipated that might bring Sammy Walker to an NHL level player at some point, he thinks the game so well. He does. And really – the higher the level, the higher the intensity, the more he seems to slow his brain down and process information accordingly. There's some players that just, when the spotlight gets bigger, they find a way to just slow everything down and the moment isn't too big. You you wish you could take that tendency from Sammy Walker and give it to Marco Rossi right now. Yep. You know, just because of the fact that Marco Rossi has, to be fair, the more raw and better skill set between yep. the two of them but mentally right now sammy walker is just playing like someone who processes the game so much better here i uh, you know and you wonder if maybe they could you know bounce things off each other of course sammy walker is 23 marco rossi is 21 they're similar age uh you look at this forward core besides uh steven fogarty who's having a great year he's 29 nick patan is 27 brandon baddock who of course uh would not want to meet in a dark alley if he's mad no. uh he's 27 as well too They've got two guys who are 25 and everybody else is 23 or under the, the youngest is Liam Ogren, who of course is 19. Of course, he's not with the team, but as far as non-rostered players, and then, and then on the defensive side, Dakota Mermis is 29. Andre Suster, of course, the NHL journeyman is 32. Other than that, Joe Hicketts is 26 and everybody else is 23 or 20. Uh, and then in net, of course, besides Zane McIntyre at 30, both the other goaltenders, Hunter Joan and Wallstedt, are at 22 and 20 respectively for age. So this is a young group with a lot of potential here. One, I want to hear if you have any additional thoughts on Sammy Walker, but also a lot of people call this prospect pool a top three, if not the top prospect pool in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. One, do you agree? Two, if you don't agree, or even if you do, do you think it's overblown? And three, there's been comparisons to the 2012 prospect pool, which I don't think is as deep as this one not, is. Not even close. But, like, are we wrong to be excited? Like, like, are, are any of these guys going to pan out? Is this just overblown and you can't predict it? So why are we celebrating something that's not going to be? How would you, how would you kind of relay that? Oh, I love this. I actually really do like this conversation because first of all, yes, I agree that this is a very good prospect pool, but keyword prospect, right? There's one thing that in sports that often gets sort of, I say wrongfully, you know, linked is 
prospects equal proven commodities. They're not. So what you can do, though, is a prospect pool. And this is why we talk about prospect pools, right, is the chances, let's just say it's 30%. Let's just say that if you take any prospect pool that's out there and say out of these players, probably only 30% are going to sniff the show. And maybe of that 10% will be a full-time NHL player. That's not far from reality. That's the thing, right? That, that might actually be even a little high in some yeah, cases. Actually, yeah, um, actually. So what does that mean? Why does, why does that correlate to what I'm talking about? And that is prospect pools. If you can stock your cupboards with high enough raw talent with, you know, people have got, shall we say, the better chances of making that sniff, then you can strike like lightning in a bottle, right? It's then you're using that, you know, draft and development model well but at the at the end of the day nothing's guaranteed and that's the flip side of the coin right Noah. and that is you can have these top prospects like al rossi just to throw them out there i'm not you know going to use them in the next part of the example here but um and they come in with raw skill they play great at junior hockey um they're actually doing really well in the american hockey league right but again it's about that final step and when you ask, well, you know, should, you know, is this overblown? It's not that it's overblown, but I think it's misunderstood. And that is, you know, every player has their own unique development path. And it doesn't mean that if you're in the Iowa wild that, and you're a top draft pick that you make it right. Um, ask the Edmonton Oilers how they feel about uh, Neil Yakupov, right? Yeah. Um, so, because that, because what does that mean? Does that mean the scouts got it wrong? Does that you mean know, they're fixated on it, right? You know, I think it's something that goes back to something that is almost way more simplified and goes back to the pond hockey days. I know that might seem abstract here, but... Very much so, but it's okay. <laughs> are we shocked at this point? Not, um, no, not at I all. I mean, our next episode is 150, so get with the program here. Oh, um, <laughs> but speaking of programs, what does every really good hockey player from a small town in the middle of nowhere, what happens when they're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old? Do they stay playing with their piddly, podunkly little high school team? No, they, they don't. They go to a prospect team. They go play with better players. And this is where your prospect pool becomes effective. It's not about, oh, they've got a lot of high-end prospects. They're number one. It's about they're adding better and better players to the talent pool to make every practice, every game competitive. And to push them into that area where they're going to push each other. And if you want to be a better hockey player, you have to play with better hockey players. That's why you see guys like, um, you know, Ryan O'Rourke and stuff like that. These Stephen Fogarty's, these guys who are a little bit older that, yes, they love to play the game. But you see them there because they've played NHL hockey. They've played some extensive stretches in the show. Then they come back down to the littler club. Then they've got all of these young guys who are competing against each other. They're all world-class athletes. And then they're competing against guys who have played at the next level. It's only going to make you better. And if you are made better as a collective, because each of you has high-end skill, and like you said, Marco Rossi, great centerman, good playmaker, fleet of foot, 
oh, but who's this Sammy Walker kid that came out of nowhere and he's using his hockey IQ. He's using the finesse with his stick. He's using his hands to create opportunities. Now Marco Rossi goes, oh, I've got to adjust. I've got to start doing those things. On the other side, Sammy Walker goes, Marco Rossi, we know he's the guy. He's the prospect. He's a first-round pick. What can I do to make myself better than him? And that mm-hmm. give and take goes back and forth. That's what makes a prospect pool exciting is because whatever you want to rake, rank it, that ranking to me means you've got more players available to make each other better in your prospect pool and then compliment some of those veteran guys, Joe Hicketts, who's 26, who I don't know if you call him a veteran, but he's been there a while. Yep. Guys like that, Stephen Fogarty, Andre Schuster, those veteran guys are not only going to make those guys better, but they're also going to impart wisdom uh, to continue to help those guys grow and develop. To me, I always think that we look at sports, especially in Minnesota, with this negative light, hoping to be surprised with something positive. I think when you talk about prospect pools, you've got to be positive about the outcome until that window is or that viewpoint is no longer available because we're just not at that point there is nothing that has been shown to me with this prospect pool even blips struggles like marco rossi has had they're so young there's nothing that i've seen yet from this team that says oh we're trending in the wrong direction there's still a lot of hope and a lot of promise and as we've known tim army and his staff down in iowa usually do a fantastic job of getting these guys ready to play and ready to play at the next level so that's what excites me about the prospect pool the most um is there anything else you wanted to add on that and i the iowa wilds in general you know <clears throat> and again all of that you talk about players prepping each other but again we cannot understate how good of a job tim army has done yes um and one of the big things that he did was and this kind of goes back to the paul fedden experiment and that's probably the proper way to to, to you know title his well at least least we got a lizard out of the deal right um and that is for the longest time the big club and little club were not in sync they weren't teaching the same uh systems they they weren't you know really trying to prep these guys to be a call-up right so you have to complement also uh the executive staff and the coaching staff um we know that tim army works really really closely with dean avison right and the player development coaches so that's brad bombardier uh cody mcleod uh just to name a couple right where they're constantly you know trying to adjust little things right and that's when you can have an opportunity like a sammy walker where he can get a call up and he can fit right in and he knows what he's doing right how many times did we see what's we Rewind the clocks back 10 years. How many times did we see a call from Houston or Iowa at the one point, right? And they just looked like they were just out of place, yeah. right? Where, like like Bambi on skates almost. like Yeah. And it had nothing. And it's funny because to the casual fan, it looked like the player themselves was like, well, what? this guy sucks. Like, what's he? He had no idea what he's doing. When the reality is he probably was just fine. But because they were doing different systems and didn't understand what the big club wanted and they weren't replicating that in the minor league system. Uh, yeah. He was kind of put out there hung, hung out to dry. Right. So yeah. it is a development process that is linear in the sense that you have to have everybody in the same page. Right. Because then as you work harder, as you grow, and as you mentioned, as players battle each other, they adjust it again, experience, right. Yeah. That's the biggest thing about, 
the development process is, is experienced, right? Whether it's Joe Hicketts or whoever else that spent time in the in the NHL. Yeah, Cody you McLeod, know, a great example of a journeyman NHL AHLer who's now on staff. Yes, um, a, a thorn in the wild side during some playoff runs, but yes, you know, uh, it's kind of funny how those types of players actually see the game almost better, right? Uh, they just have a uh, just a really good grasp of the the whole picture, um, and they bring that level of okay, well, maybe that toe drag that I used to work with in high school or even just, that's not going to work here. Everybody knows that's coming. Uh, you know, it's small things like that, that, you know, when we talk about stick handling in the phone booth, you mentioned Samuel Walker and the stick skills, right? There's a lot that goes into just going into a corner with the right angle, uh, with the right, you know, way to with your stick and try to dig out a loose puck or to maybe take the puck away from someone. There's a lot of little nuances that go into that skill. It's kind of funny how we talk that up. And yet there's so many small details that go into that. Right. Yeah. Um, in the NHL, you're better at protecting the puck. You're better at seeing the fight. Ask Pavel Datsuk, holy cow, right? So to wrap it up, right, and then, and I think one thing we can't say about the Iowa Loud Club is there's a lot of intriguing talent there. Yes, yes. for Wallstad, Marco Rossi, Adam Beckman I still put in there. Um, of course, Sammy Walker, we've talked him up and down. But there's also some players and juniors too, right, that will either make their jump either – next year or the year after that yeah. will go to Iowa. Guys, the same thing, right? Guys overseas, Liam Ogren, great example, good yep. international player. Yep. Um, and then spot check um, yep. will be coming in a couple of years as a good defensive prospect. So, um, and then we forgetting Brock Faber to your right. Yeah. University of Minnesota, right? Who? Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> so at the end of it, you know, in the, you have to be excited, but it's gotta be a controlled excitement, right? Because, at yeah. the end of the day, we just, you never know. You could be the number one overall pick in the draft. You get to the NHL. And regardless if you jump in right away as an 18 year old, or maybe you spend some time in the minors, um, or you get sent down to even your drink like Shane Wright did, right? Um, which was, we've talked about that before. Very weird how they handle that. Thank you, Coachella <laughs> Valley. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when they get there, it's never guaranteed or if or shall we say even if they get there. Right. So it's nice to have the talent pool. It's nice to have it there. What it shows is that the scouts are doing their job. It shows that the GM, that everybody's in sync and they're giving this team the best chance to, to draft and develop the players that they feel like they need for their roster and doing things the right way. Right. And I, yeah. I think that's really all, all it comes down to. I like that phrase that you said, be excited. It's control excitement, but be excited. And I think that's the point we're trying yeah. to get across here. Speaking of things to look forward to my final question here for you, Nick. Oh boy. 16 and three versus 16 and three, 5 30 PM today on Sunday, February 12th, the Kansas city chiefs, Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. What are our predictions? Who's winning this game? Super What's Bowl. the score? What's the score? Ooh. Um, this is an interesting matchup. Duh, it's a Super Bowl. But um, <laughs> nice. And that's our show. Uh, and that's it. But <laughs> you have two very potent offenses, two very good stingy defenses. Um, but the big thing is how healthy is Mahomes and his ankle? Yeah. Right. Um, looks like he battled it out at the AFC Championship game. You kind of wonder what, you know, with a sprained ankle, you know, you uh, I've had a sprained ankle. Those can be those can linger a Spe bit, especially those high sprains. They just they yes. don't. Heal and they rate. hurt like a mother truck. Yes, yes they, they do. do. Um, so I, I think this is the Vikings fandom. It's it's just I don't care who was their opponent, just not the Eagles. Is <laughs> is is my personal route. I don't really care, honestly. Um yeah. I just want a good game. And I think this is actually going to be a very, very good game. Um 
I think it's going to be a 24 to 21 win for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I do think it's going to be back and forth. I think you're going to see um, a lot of Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I think you're going to see tight ends involved. We'll see what happens um, with, with Jalen Hurts. Um, is he able to um, use his feet a little bit here in the Super Bowl? Does the Kansas City defense have a plan for that? Because um, you also got to look at the other way for Mahomes, right? He can step up, but now with his ankle hampered, um, is he going to be throwing the ball more? Is he going to be in the pocket more? Um, there's some intriguing storylines here. Um, what about you, Noah? I'm curious yeah. to you. Uh, like you mentioned, Kelsey is the key to the kingdom for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And I, I think if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and you can shut down that slot receiver, essentially, uh, and shut down that tight end position, I think they're going to be just fine. We are almost identical in scores. We just have a different team winning it. I have the Philadelphia Eagles 24 to 20 is my score that I am predicting. So I think the Eagles get it done because, like you mentioned, I think with Mahomes maybe not being the most mobile, I I imagine he'll maybe feel a little bit better than he did uh, previously with the extra week of rest. But I think if you're able to shut down the slot receivers, like you mentioned, uh, one of the things that Kansas City does so well under Andy Reid, of course, is uh, they have so many options. Uh, you know, when it comes yeah. to the offensive side of things, they're good at short passing, good at throwing a long bong every now and then. Mahomes, when he's mobile, is able to scramble and create some yardage himself. And of course, they've got a great running game on top of that. I do think the Eagles defense has enough to shut them down, but they have to make sure they're paying attention to the right weapons on the other side here. But like you mentioned, I do not anticipate a widespread uh, for either team in this game. This should be one of the better Super Bowls I'm anticipating. But of course, why not be divisive? Nick has the Kansas City Chiefs. I have the Eagles taking the victory here. Anything else you wanted to add? Do we we put a, a friendly wager on it? What do you have in mind? I didn't think about I, that question. I, I'm not. I'm not going shirtless for anything. <laughs> well, that wasn't on my bingo card, anyways. Thank God. Um, well, there's always a free space. There is a free space. That's right. <laughs> that uh, let's see what what oh. what what can we do here? Um, oh, how about ooh. how about this? Um, the loser of uh, this wager has to go out and do a one-minute PSA that the Huskies Warming House podcast will put on Twitter talking about how great North Dakota hockey fans are. <laughs> okay. How does that sound? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Okay. That will be uh, that will actually be pretty hilarious. So, <laughs> and we'll 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 throw it in the show next week too. So, um, I well, like that. You have to you have to do some clip uh, uh, gathering also on the internet, and I'm I'm sure. There'll be plenty of those for your for your disposal. Yeah, um, I this yeah that honestly now I kind of wish I would have just taken my shirt off. Anyway, uh, (laughs) with that being said, that will do it for the Huskies Warming House podcast. Our next episode will be episode one five zero. We'll recap the Super Bowl, of course. Everything else related to the playoff push here, most of the regular seasons are coming to an end. Playoffs are starting in the hockey world as well. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant. We will see you soon in the den. Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Now 42 points.
.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.